Let me start by saying I'm not back. Um, today is the uh, anniversary of the passing of the founder of the Church of Satan, uh, Magus Anton Xander LeVay. And uh, by means of uh, an in-memoriam, rather than typing something up and posting it somewhere, I thought, why not just read arguably the most important religious literature written in the 20th century um, that he just so happened to have written. It makes sense to me, and it's something that clearly makes sense to a couple of you. Uh, before I dive into this, I want to explain how this is going to work. This is actually uh, for a different project that I'm sort of working on. So... I'm going to be doing this chapter by chapter, and I'm going to go as long as my voice will allow me. I do not expect you all to be hanging in there for the entirety of this stream. I don't expect that I'll be hanging in there <laughs> for the entirety of this stream. Uh, but I do genuinely appreciate that uh, you guys show up. Now, as I'm reading this, what I think would be interesting is if there's a part that sparks a thought or a question or a comment use the live chat for that and let each other spark a conversation um, with you, other audience members, uh, other viewers, and let this be a, a bit of a platform for entertainment outside of the reading of the book that we've all read already, that we all know already. I would like to say quickly that <clears throat> it gets frustrating when people deify the doctor, uh, we tend to forget that he was uh, just a dude <laughs> doing his thing. Um, in the same way that all of us are just doing our thing in life, uh, the magnitude or the impact uh, of what you do, again, is in the eye of the beholder. My wife is going to be coming in and bringing me reading glasses. I have to actually get reading glasses because the print in this is insane. My eyes are going too quickly. Donna? Thank you. I don't even know if these are going to work or not. Oh, mama. That's not good. Ooh. Holy shit. It does help. Yeah, I'm getting wailed, dude. Um, it bugs me when people deify uh, the doctor. They try to make him out to be some sort of um, god figure uh, who could do no wrong. But in anyone you've ever spoken to who had personal interactions with the man, uh, he was as flawed as everyone else. Uh, he had experiences like everyone else. So we need to stop pretending, or those who do need to stop pretending that he was something greater than what he actually was. Um, and that's not to say that the contribution to humanity that uh, he gave is in any way insignificant, because it's not. It's, it's massively important, and it has affected all of reality since he shaved his head and declared it uh, year one. Um, and so moving into this, I would like to ask those of you who maybe... Uh, put more stock in the individual 
who wrote this book than they put in themselves to stop and question that. Uh, it's nice to appreciate who someone was and the legacy they left behind uh, in all of its messy brilliance. But let it stop there and just appreciate his memory for what it was. Stop trying to bring him into our age and look through his eyes at, at what the world would be if he was around or how he would interpret events. I mean, that's just... It not only does it denigrate the memory of the individual, but you are actively changing who that person was in the minds of those who believe the bullshit you're spewing. So, no shitty fan fiction, <laughs> no reinterpretation of events. Let's just take it at face value. And in the memory that he left us, let us appreciate and um, find some wisdom within that writing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, let me, there's no fucking way I'm going to be able to get to all of you. <laughs> there's so many of you. Jared, Stormid, Namisha, Aaron, Clark, uh, Otto, Jeff, Wes, Dogs, my co-pilot. How are you, my dear? William. Uh, let's see. Nadine. Sean, Stephanie, Malcolm, Valeria, Rick, Vic. I don't see a dick. Nope, there he is. <laughs> Rick. <laughs> um, Gregory. Will. Anyone else? Tom, thanks for joining us. Anyone else who's joining in the, the chat room? I'm surprised there's so many of you. Okay. I'm just going to be reading. So it's going to get boring quick. But again, if you have any questions or comments throughout the way, there's tons of people in the chat room that can help you with that. Rick is a dick. Total asshole, says Rick. All right. Let's see, old man. Read this book. Stanic Bible by Anton Zandor LeVay. Anton Zandor LeVay, called the Black Pope by many of his followers, Anton LeVay began the road to high priesthood of the Church of Satan when he was only 16 years old, an organ player in a carnival. On Saturday night, I would see men lusting after half-naked girls dancing at the carnival. And on Sunday morning, when I was playing the organ for the tent show evangelists at the other end of the carnival lot, I would see these same men sitting in the pews with their wives and children, asking God to forgive them and purge them of carnal desires. And the next Saturday night, they'd be back at the carnival or some other place of indulgence. I knew then that the Christian church thrives on hypocrisy and that man's carnal nature will out. From that time, early in his life, his path was clear. Finally, on the last night of April, 1966, Valpurgis knocked, the most important festival of the believers in witchcraft, LeVay shaved his head in the tradition of ancient executioners and announced the formation of the Church of Satan. He had seen the need for a church that would recapture man's body and his carnal desires as objects of celebration. Since worship of fleshly things produces pleasure, he said. There would then be a temple of glorious indulgence. For Diane. Introduction, Burton H. Wolfe. 
On a winter's evening in 1967, I drove cross town in San Francisco to hear Anton Zander LeVay lecture at an open meeting of the Sexual Freedom League. I was attracted by newspaper articles describing him as the Black Pope of Satanic Church in which baptism, wedding, and funeral ceremonies were dedicated to the devil. I was a freelance magazine writer, and I felt there might be a story in LeVay and his contemporary pagans, for the devil has always made good copy, as they say in the city desk. It was not the practice of the black art itself that I considered to be the story, because that's nothing new in the world. There were devil-worshipping sects and voodoo cults before there were Christians. In 18th century England, a hellfire club with connections to the American colonies through Benjamin Franklin gained some brief notoriety. During the early part of the 20th century, the press publicized Aleister Crowley as the wickedest man in the world, and there were hints in the 1920s and 30s of a black order in Germany. To this seemingly old story, LeVay and his organization of contemporary Faustians offered two strikingly new chapters. First, they blasphemously represented themselves as a church, a term previously confined to branches of Christianity instead of the traditional coven of Satanism and witchcraft lore. Second, they practiced their black magic openly instead of underground. Rather than arrange a preliminary interview with LeVay for discussion of his heretical innovations, my usual first step in research, I decided to watch and listen to him as an unidentified member of an audience. He was described in some newspapers as a former circus and carnival lion tamer and trickster, now representing himself as the devil's representative on earth, and I wanted to determine first whether he was a true Satanist, a prankster, or a quack. I had already met people in the limelight of the occult business. In fact, Jean Dixon was my landlady, and I had a chance to write about her before Ruth Montgomery did. But I considered all the occultists phonies, hypocrites, or quacks, and I would never spend five minutes writing about their various forms of hocus-pocus. All the occultists I had met, or heard of, were white lighters, allegedly seers, prophesiers, and wishes, wrapped their supposedly mystical powers around God-based spiritual communication. LeVay seemed to laugh at them, if not spit on them, in contempt. Emerged from between the lines of newspaper stories as a black magician, basing his work on the dark side of nature and the carnal side of humanity. There seemed to be nothing spiritual about his church. As I listened to LeVay talk the first time, I realized at once there was nothing to connect him with the occult business. He could not even be described as metaphysical. The brutally frank talk he delivered was pragmatic, relativistic, and above all rational. It was unorthodox, to be sure. A blast as established religious worship, repression of humanity's carnal nature, phony pretense as piety in the course of an existence based on dog-eat-dog material pursuits. It was also full of sardonic, uh, sardonic satire on human folly. But most important of all, the talk was logical. It was not a quack magic that LeVay offered his audience. It was common-sense philosophy based on the realities of life. 
After I became convinced of LeVay's sincerity, I had to convince him that I intended to do some serious research instead of adding to the accumulation of hack articles dealing with the Church of Satan as a new type of freak show. I boned up on Satanism, discussed its history and rationale with LeVay, and attended some midnight rituals in the famous Victorian manse once used as Church of Satan headquarters. Out of all that I produced a serious article, only to find that was not what the publishers of respectable magazines wanted. They were interested only in the freak show kind of article. Finally, it was a so-called girly or man's magazine, Night, of September 1968, that published the first definitive article on LeVay, the Church of Satan, and LeVay's synthesis of the old devil legends and black magic lore into the modern philosophy and practice of Satanism that all followers and imitators now use as their model their guide, and even their Bible. My magazine article was the beginning, not the end, as it has been with my other writing subjects, of a long and intimate association. Out of it came my biography of LeVay, The Devil's Avenger, published by Pyramid in 1974. After the book was published, I became a card-carrying member and, subsequently, a priest in the Church of Satan, a title I now proudly share with my celebrated persons. Uh, many celebrated persons. The post-midnight philosophical discussions I began with LeVay in 1967 continue today, a decade later, supplemented sometimes these days by a nifty witch or some other, uh, some of our own music, him on organ and me on drums, in a bizarre cabaret populated by super-realistic humanoids of LeVay's creation. All of LeVay's background seemed to prepare him for this role. He is a descendant of Gregorian, Roman, uh, Romanian, and Alsatian, 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 and Alsatian grandparents, including a gypsy grandmother who passed on to him the legends of vampires and witches in their native Transylvania. As early as the age of five, LeVay was reading weird tales, magazines, and books such as Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Though he was different from other children, they appointed him as a leader in marches and maneuvers in mock military orders. In 1942, when LeVay was 12, his fascination with toy soldiers led to concern over World War II. He delved into military manuals and discovered that arsenals of the equipment of armies and navies could be bought like groceries in a supermarket and used to conquer nations. The idea took shape in his head that, contrary to what the Christian Bible said, the earth would not be inherited by the meek, but by the mighty. In high school, LeVay became something of an offbeat child prodigy. Reserving his most serious studies for outside the school, he delved into music, metaphysics, and secrets of the occult. At 15, he became a second oboist in the San Francisco Ballet Symphony Orchestra. Bored with high school classes, LeVay dropped out in his junior year, left home, and joined the Clyde Betty Circus as a cage boy watering and feeding the lions and tigers. Animal, uh, animal trainer Betty noticed that LeVay was comfortable working with the big cats and made him an assistant trainer. Possessed since childhood by a passion for the arts, for culture, LeVay was not content merely with the excitement of training jungle beasts and working them in the ring as a fill-in for Betty. By age 10, he had taught himself to play the piano by ear. This came in handy when the circus 
Calliope player became drunk before a performance and was unable to go on. LeVay volunteered to replace him, confident he could handle the unfamiliar organ keyboard well enough to provide the necessary background music. It turned out he knew more music and played better than the regular calliopist, so Betty cashiered the drunk and installed LeVay as the instrument. He was accompanied... <coughs> Excuse me. He accompanied the human cannonball Hugo Zaccini and the Wellenda's high wire acts among them. When LeVay was 18, he left the circus and joined a carnival. There he became assistant to a magician, learned hypnosis, and studied more about the occult. It was a curious combination. On the so one side, he was working in an atmosphere of life at its rawest level of earthly music. The smell of wild animals and sawdust, acts in which a second of missed timing meant the accident or death. Performances that demanded youth and strength and shed those who grew old like last year's clothes. A world of physical excitement that had magical attractions. On the other side, he was working with magic in the dark side of the human brain. Perhaps the strange combination influenced the way he began to view humanity as he played organ for carnival sideshows. On Saturday night, LeVay recalled in one of our long talks, I would see men lusting after half-naked girls dancing at the carnival. And on Sunday morning, when I was playing organ for tent show evangelists at the other end of the carnival lot, I would see these same men sitting in the pews with their wives and children, asking God to forgive them and purge them of carnal desires. And the next Saturday night, they'd be back at the carnival or some other place of indulgence. I knew then that the Christian church thrives on hypocrisy and that man's carnal nature will out no matter how much it is purged or scourged by any white light religion. Though LeVay did not realize it then, he was on his way towards formulating a religion that would sever, that would serve as the antithesis of Christianity and its Judaic heritage. It was an old religion, older than Christianity or Judaism, but it had never been formalized, arranged into a body of thought and ritual. That was to become LeVay's role in 20th century civilization. After LeVay became a married man himself in 1951, at age 21, he abandoned the wondrous world of the carnival to settle into a career better suited for homemaking. He had been enrolled as a criminologist major, criminology major at the City College of San Francisco. That led to his first conformist job, photographer for the San Francisco Police Department. As it worked out, that job has as much to do as other with his development of Satanism as a way of life. I saw the bloodiest, grimiest side of human nature, LeVay recounted in a session dealing with his past life. People shot by nuts, knifed by their friends, little kids splattered in the gutter by hit-and-run drivers. It was disgusting and depressing. I asked myself, where is God? I came to detest the sanctimonious attitude of people towards violence, always saying it's God's will. So he quit in disgust after three years of being a crime photographer and returned to playing organ, this time in nightclubs and theaters, to earn a living while he continued his studies into his own life's passions, the black arts. Once a week, he held classes on arcane topics, hauntings, ESP, dreams, vampires, werewolves, divination, ceremonial magic, etc. 
They attracted many people who were, or have since become, well-known in the arts and sciences and the business world. Eventually, a magic circle evolved from this group. The major purpose of the circle was to meet for the performance of magical rituals LeVay had discovered or devised. He'd accumulated a library of works that described the Black Mass and other infamous ceremonies conducted by groups such as the Knights Templar in 14th century France, the Hellfire Club in the Golden Dawn in 18th and 19th century England. The intent of some of these secret orders was to blaspheme, lampoon the Christian church, and address themselves to the devil as an anthropomorphic deity that represented the reverse of God. In LeVay's view, the devil was not that, but rather a dark, hidden force in nature responsible for the workings of earthly affairs, a force for which neither science nor religion had any explanation. LeVay's Satan is the spirit of progress, the inspirer of all great movements that contribute to the development of human civilization and the advancement of mankind. He is the spirit of revolt that leads to freedom, the embodiment of all heresies that liberate. On the last night of April 1966, Valpurgisnacht, the most important festival in the lore of magic and witchcraft, LeVay ritualistically shaved his head in accordance with magical tradition and announced the formation of the Church of Satan. For proper identification as its minister, he put on the clerical collar, up to that collar, he looked almost holy. But his Genghis Khan-like shaven head, his Mephistophelian beard, and his narrow eyes gave him the necessary demonic look of his priesthood of the devil's church on earth. For one thing, LeVay explained himself, calling it a church enabled me to follow the magical formula of one part outrage to nine parts social respectability that is needed for success. But the main purpose was to gather a group of like-minded individuals together for the use of their combined energies in calling up the dark force in nature that is called Satan. As LeVay pointed out, all other churches are based on worship of the spirit and denial of the flesh and the intellect. He saw the need for a church that would recapture man's mind and carnal desires as objects of celebration. Rational self-interest would be encouraged and a healthy ego championed. He began to realize that the old concept of a black mass to satirize Christian services was outmoded, or, as he put it, beating a dead horse. In the Church of Satan, LeVay initiated some exhilarating psychodramas in lieu of Christianity's self-debasing services, thereby exercising repressions and inhibitions fostered by white light religions. There was a revolution in the Christian Church itself against Orthodox rites and traditions. It had become popular to declare that God is dead, so the alternative rites that LeVay worked out were still maintaining some of the trappings of ancient ceremonies were changed from a negative mockery to positive forms of celebration and purges. Satanic weddings, consecrating, satanic weddings consecrating the joys of the flesh, funerals devoid of sanctimonious platitudes, lust rituals to help individuals attain their sex desires, destruction rituals to enable members of the satanic church to triumph over enemies. On special occasions such as baptisms, weddings, and funerals in the name of the devil, press coverage, though unsolicited, was phenomenal. 
1967, the newspapers that were sending reports, uh, reporters to write about the Church of Satan extended from San Francisco across the Pacific to Tokyo and across the Atlantic to Paris. A photo of a nude woman half-covered by leopard skin serving as an altar to Satan in a LaVey-conceived wedding ceremony was transmitted by major wire services to daily newspapers everywhere. And it showed up on the front page of such bulwarks of the media as the Los Angeles Times. As the result of the publicity, Grottos, LaVey's counterpart to Covens, affiliated with the Church of Satan, spread throughout the world, proving one of LaVey's cardinal messages, the devil is alive and highly popular with a great many people. Of course, LaVey pointed out to anyone who would listen that the devil to him and his followers was not the stereotyped fellow cloaked in red garb with horns, tail, and pitchfork, but rather the dark forces in nature that human beings are just beginning to fathom. How did LaVey square that explanation with his own appearance at times in black cowl with horns? He replied, People need ritual with symbols such as those you find in baseball games or church services or wars. As vehicles for expending emotions they can't release or even understand on their own. Nevertheless, LaVey himself soon tired of the games. There were setbacks. First, some of LaVey's neighbors began complaining about the full-grown lion he was keeping as a house pet, and eventually the big cat was donated to the local zoo. Next, one of LaVey's most devoted witches, Jane Mansfeld, died under a curse he had placed on the head of her suitor, lawyer Sam Brody, for a variety of reasons I've explained in The Devil's Avenger. LaVey had persistently warned her away from Brody and felt depressed over her death. It was the second tragic death in the 60s of a Hollywood sex symbol with whom he had been intimately involved. The other was Marilyn Monroe, LaVey's paramour for a brief but crucial period in 1948, when he had quit the carnival and was playing organ for strippers around the Los Angeles area. On top of that, LaVey was tired of organizing entertainments and purges for his church members. He had gotten in touch with the last living remnants of the pre-war occult fraternities of Europe, was busily acquiring their philosophies and secret rituals left over from the pre-Hitler era, and needed time to study, write, and work out new principles. He had long been experimenting with and applying the principles of geometric spatial concepts in what he terms the law of the trapezoid. He scoffs at current faddists who are barking up the wrong pyramids. He was also becoming wildly sought as a speaker, guests on radio and television programs, and production and or technical advisors in score of television producers and movie makers, turning out satanic chillers. Sometimes he was also an actor. As sociologist Clinton R. Sanders points out, no occultist has had as direct an impact on formulaic cinematic presentations of Satanism as has Anton Zander LaVey. Ritual and esoteric symbolism are central elements in LaVey's church, and the films in which, he has in which he has had a hand contain detailed portrayals of satanic rites and are filled with traditional occult symbols. The emphasis upon ritual in the Church of Satan is intended to focus the emotional powers within each individual. Similarly, the ornate ritualism that is central to LaVey's films may resemble, um, <clears throat> pardon, 
Similarly, the ornate ritualism that is central to LeVay's films may reasonably be seen as mechanism to involve and focus the emotional experience of the cinema audience. At last, LeVay decided to transfer rituals and other organized activities to Church of Satan grottos around the world and devote himself to writing, lecturing, teaching, and to his family, wife Diane, the blonde beauty who serves as high priestess of the church, raven-haired daughter Carla, now in her early 20s, a criminology major like her father before, spending much of her time lecturing on Satanism at universities in many parts of the country, and finally Zena, remembered by people who saw the famous photo of the satanic church baptism as a tiny tot, but now a gorgeously developed teenager, attracting a growing pack of wolves, human male variety. Out of LeVay's relatively um, quite quiescent, okay, out of LeVay's relatively quiescent period came his wild, sweet fucking hell, came his widely read pioneering books, first the Satanic Bible, which at this writing is in its 12th edition, and this is my second revised introduction after having written the original introduction to the first edition. Second, the Satanic Rituals, which covers more of the somber, complex material LeVay unearthed from his increasing sources. And third, The Complete Witch, a bestseller in Italy, but sadly allowed by its American publisher to go out of print with its potential unfulfilled. LeVay's spreading out from the from organized church activities to writing books of worldwide distribution has, of course, greatly expanded Church of Satan membership. Satanism's growing popularity has naturally been accompanied by scare stories from religious groups complaining that the Satanic Bible now outsells the Christian Bible on college campuses and is a leading causative factor in youngsters turning away from God. And certainly, one suspects that Pope Paul had LeVay in mind when he issued his worldwide proclamation two years ago that the devil is alive and a person, a living, fire-breathing character spreading evil over the earth. LeVay, maintaining that evil is live, spelled backwards and should be indulged in and enjoyed, answers the Pope and the religious scare groups with this way. People, organizations, nations are making millions of dollars off us. What would they do without us? Without the Church of Satan, they wouldn't have anybody to rage at and to take the blame for all the rotten things happening in the world. If they really feel this way, they shouldn't have blown us out of proportion. What you really have to believe instead of that, uh, what you really have to believe instead, is that they are the charlatans, and they're really glad to have us around so they can exploit us. We're an extremely valuable commodity. We've helped business lift up the economy, and some of the millions of dollars we have generated have in turn flowed into the Christian church. We have proved many times over the ninth satanic statement that says the church and countless individuals cannot exist without the devil. For that, the Christian church must pay a price. The events that LeVay predicted in the first edition of the Satanic Bible have come to pass. Repressed people have burst their bonds. Sex has exploded. The collective libido has been released in movies and literature, on the streets and in the home. People are dancing topless and bottomless. Nuns have thrown off their traditional habits, exposed their legs, and danced the Mrs. Solemnus rock that LeVay thought he was conjuring up all as a prank. There is a ceaseless, there is a ceaseless universal quest for entertainment, gourmet food, 
and wines, adventure, enjoyment of the here and now. Humanity is no longer willing to wait for any afterlife that promises to reward the clean, pure, translate, aesthetic, drab spirit. There is a mood of neo-paganism and hedonism, and from it, there have emerged a wide variety of brilliant individuals, doctors, lawyers, engineers, teachers, writers, stockbrokers, real estate developers, actors and actresses, mass communications, media people, to cite a few categories of Satanists, who are interested in formalizing and perpetuating this all-pervading religion and way of life. It is not an easy religion to adopt in a society ruled so long by Puritan ethics. There is no false altruism or mandatory love-thy-neighbor concepts in this religion. Satanism is a blatantly selfish, brutal philosophy. It is based on the belief that human beings are inherently selfish, violent creatures, that life is a Darwinian struggle for survival of the fittest, that only the strong survive and the earth will be ruled by those who fight to win the ceaseless competition that exists in all jungles, including those of urbanized society. Abhor this brutal outlook, if you will. It is based, as it has been for centuries, on real conditions that exist in the world we inhabit, rather than the mystical lands of milk and honey depicted in the Christian Bible. In the Satanic Bible, Anton LaVey has explained the, philosoph uh, the philosophy of Satanism more profoundly than any of his ancestors in the Kingdom of Darkness, while describing in detail the innovative rituals and trappings he has devised to create a church of realists. It has been clear from the first edition that many people want to read this book to learn how to start Satanic groups and ritualize black magic. The Satanic Bible and the Satanic Rituals are the only books that have demonstrated, in a way that is authentic and true to relevant traditions, how all of that can be done. There have been many imitators, never attributing their source, and with good reason, because once the shabbiness and shallowness of the imitators have been compared to LeVay's pioneering work, they can no longer be any market for the rip-off artists. The evidence is clear to any who are willing to view the record. Anton LaVey brought Satan out of the closet, and the Church of Satan is the fountainhead of contemporary Satanism. This book summarizes the message both convey, and remains both challenge and inspiration, as timely today as when it was written. San Francisco, December 25th, 1976. 11. Anno Satanus. The Satanic Bible. Wow! Before I get into any more, I need to take a sip, and I want to digest just for a second. Because <clears throat> that's great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, clearly, there are other versions, many, you know, this is the 12th, I think you said, version uh, of this Tenet Bible. <clears throat> and I know there's like... Um, completists, bibliophiles that, that seek original printings and go out of their way to find hardcover editions and everything. But I have, I've had not this specific one, but the paperback version of this satanic Bible, my entire, uh, young adult to now glasses needing adult life. Uh, and the message isn't any less potent. And if there's ever, uh, 
a Kindle version or a e-reader version, the message will still be as powerful. And so I've never really understood the need to find like, you know, those rare editions, unless it's just a, you know, a thing you like. Um, I would, however, like to see different types of forwards throughout history up until this particular point. Um, and to be honest, I haven't seen any since this has been printed to see if it has any better uh, introductions or anything. I know that there was a, uh, a, a com combined release of this uh, that was limited, I believe, um, that uh, I did not take advantage of, but it's only because I already have the books. <laughs> so, like, in my head, why do I need to buy it again? You know? I don't know. That's just how I see it. Um, what did you guys think about that prep? I mean, not even that preface, but that introduction by Burton H. Wolf. I know The Devil's Avenger was a very uh, uh, powerful inspiration for some uh, in our organization and without to investigate the doctor and his philosophy more. But um, yeah, I, I find it very fascinating. <clears throat> Consequently, it's very cold. I've been partying all weekend, so <clears throat> I believe I've got a tickle in my throat that may be an oncoming cold, so hopefully I can avoid that. Um, all right, looks like you guys are chatting a bunch. Let me see if I can scroll to anything interesting. <laughs> Elijah, I only have two red cards. I should do stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, proud owner, Malcolm. Good for you, man. I still don't have a copy of that. That's one I would love to read. Though, to be honest, I have never really looked into getting a copy. I just thought about it. Um, and you guys are talking about different collections of satanic essays. Yeah. Um, if there's any way that I could steer you guys a little bit to focus on the doctor rather than other people. Because today's a day of uh, in-memoriam for him, you know. All right. <clears throat> yeah, it was all the giggling and tickle fighting that did it, Wes. <laughs> this is your fault. <clears throat> Preface. This book was written because, with very few exceptions, every tract and paper, every secret grimoire, all the great works on the subject of magic are nothing more than sanctimonious fraud. Guilt-ridden ramblings and esoteric gibberish by chroniclers of magical lore, unable or unwilling to present an objective view of the subject. Writer after writer in efforts to state the principles of white and black magic has succeeded in instead in clouding the entire issue so badly that the would-be study of sorcery winds up stupidly pushing a planchette over a Ouija board, standing inside a pentagram waiting for a demon to present itself, limply tossing I Ching yarrow sticks like so many stale pretzels, shuffling pasteboards to foretell a future which has lost any meaning, attending seminars guaranteed to flatten his ego while doing the same to his wallet, and in general, making a blithering fool of himself in the eyes of those who know. The true Magus knows that occult bookshelves abound with the brittle relics of frightened minds and sterile bodies, metaphysical journals of self-deceit, and constipated rule books of Eastern mysticism. Far too long has the subject of satanic magic and philosophy been written down by wild-eyed journalists of the right-hand path. 
The old literature is the byproduct of brains festering with fear and defeat, written unknowingly for the assistance of those who really rule the earth and who, from their hellish thrones, laugh with noisome mirth. The flames of hell burn brighter for the kindling supplied by these volumes of hoary misinformation and false prophecy. Herein, you will find truth and fantasy. Each is necessary for the other to exist, but each must be recognized for what it is. What you see may not always please you, but you will see. Here is satanic thought from a truly satanic point of view. Anton Zander LeVay, The Church of Satan, San Francisco, Walpurgis Nacht, 1968. <clears throat> if it's a little short stuff like that, I may not stop in between, but I'm probably going to have to clear my throat and take a sip. So bear with me. Prologue. I feel so goddamn old with these. It, it really stings me. <laughs> like... It hurts. <clears throat> but I can read. Prologue. The gods of the right-hand path have bickered and quarreled for an entire age of Earth. Each of these deities and their respective priests and ministers have attempted to find wisdom in their own lives. The ice age of religious thought can last but a limited time in this great scheme of human existence. The gods of wisdom defiled have had their saga and their millennium hath become a reality. Each, with his own divine path to paradise, hath accused the other of heresies and spiritual indiscretions. The ring of the Nibelungen doth carry an everlasting curse, but only because those who seek it think in terms of good and evil, themselves being at all times good. The gods of the past have become as their own devils in order to live. Feebly, their ministers play the devil's game to fill their tabernacles and pay the mortgages on their temples. Alas, too long have they studied righteousness, and poor, incompetent devils they make. So they all join hands in brotherly unity, and in their desperation go to Valhalla for their last great ecumenical council. Droth near in the gloom the twilight of the gods. The ravens of night have flown forth to summon Loki, who hath set Valhalla aflame with the searing trident of the Inferno. The twilight is done. A glow of new light is born out of the night, and Lucifer is risen once more to proclaim, This is the age of Satan. Satan rules the earth. The gods of the unjust are dead. This is the morning of magic and undefiled wisdom. The flesh prevaileth, and great church shall be builded, consecrated in its name. No longer shall man's salvation be dependent on self-denial, and it will be known that the world of the flesh and the living shall be the greatest preparation for any and all eternal delights. Regi Satanus! Ave! Satanus, hail Satan. The Nine Satanic Statements 1. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. 2. 
Satan represents vital existence instead of spiritual pipe dreams. 3. Satan represents undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit. 4. Satan represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates. 5. Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. 6. Satan represents responsibility to the responsible instead of concern for psychic vampires. 7. Satan represents man as just another animal, sometimes better, more often worse than those that walk on all fours who, because of his divine spiritual and intellectual development, has become the most vicious animal of all. 8. Satan represents all of the so-called sins, as they all lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. 9. Satan has been the best friend the church has ever had, as he has kept it in business all these years. What's your favorite? What's your favorite of the nine satanic statements? Do you have a favorite? Do you just dig them all? Responsibility is responsible. Appreciate it. I think it changes depending on what's going on in your life at the time, at the given time you read it. Each new reading of the Satanic Bible, I believe, you come out on the other side of it with a slightly more informed vision of the religion and how it applies to your life. At least it does for me. I mean, it's almost like asking what's your favorite sin, right? Today, I think it's going to be number two. Satan represents vital existence instead of spiritual pipe dreams. Hell yeah. Seven, nice. Um, how's it going, Adam? Yeah, ninth is great, satanic lives. I have a hard time saying you're full handle, dude. You gotta, you gotta do something about that. <laughs> All right. Oh, thanks, Evil Monkey. Unnecessary. Appreciate it. You know, I'm about to start reading again when I sniff, clear my throat, and take a sip. <clears throat> Fire. The Book of Satan. The Infernal Diatribe. The first book of the Satanic Bible is not an attempt to blaspheme as much as it is a statement of what might be termed diabolical indignation. The devil has been attacked by the men of God relentlessly and without reservation. Never has there been an opportunity, short of fiction, for the Dark Prince to speak out in the same manner as the spokesman of the Lord of the Righteous. The pulpit pounders of the past have been free to define good and evil as they see fit, and have gladly smashed into oblivion any who disagree with their lies, both verbally and, at times, physically. Their talk of charity, when applied to his infernal majesty, becomes an empty sham, and most unfairly, too, considering the obvious fact that without their satanic foe, their very religions would collapse. How sad that the 
allegorical personage most responsible for the success of spiritual religion is shown the least amount of charity and the most constant abuse, and by those who most unctuously preach the rules of fair play. For all the centuries of shouting down the devil has received, he has never shouted back at he has never shouted back at his detractors. He has remained the gentleman at all times, while those he supports rant and rave. He has shown himself to be a model of deportment. But now, he feels it is time to shout back. He has decided it is finally time to receive his due. Now the ponderous rule books of hypocrisy are no longer needed. In order to relearn the law of the jungle, a small, slim diatribe will do. Each verse is an inferno. Each word is a tongue of fire. The flames of hell burn fierce and purify. Read on and learn the law. The Book of Satan one, one, in this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I raise up my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon, to the north and to the south I show a sign proclaiming death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. Two. Open your eyes that you may see, O men of mildewed minds, and listen to me, ye bewildered millions. 3. For I stand forth to challenge the wisdom of the world, to interrogate the laws of man and of God. 4. I request reasons for your golden rule, and ask the why and wherefore of your ten commands. 5. Before none of your printed idols do I bend in acquiescence, and he who saith thou shalt to me is my mortal foe. 6. I dip my forefinger in the watery blood of your impotent mad redeemer, and write over his thorn-torn brow, the true prince of evil, the king of the slaves! 7. No hoary falsehood shall be a truth to me. No stifling dogma shall encramp my pen. 8. I break away from all conventions that do not lead to my earthly success and happiness. 9. I raise up in stern invasion the standards of the strong. 10. I gaze into the glassy eye of your fearsome Jehovah and pluck him by the beard. I uplift a broad axe and split open his worm-eaten skull. Worm-eaten skull. Eleven. I blast out the ghastly contents of philosophically whited sepulchres and laugh with sardonic wrath. One, behold the crucifix. What does it symbolize? Pallid incompetence hanging on a tree. Two, I question all things as I stand before the festering and varnished facades of your haughtiest moral dogmas. I write thereon in letters of blazing scorn. Lo and behold, all this is fraud! Three, 
Gather around me, O oh, ye de death defiant, and the earth itself shall be thine to have and to hold. Four. Too long the dead hand has permitted to stare a living thought. Too long the dead hand has been permitted to sterilize living thought. Five. Too long right and wrong, good and evil, have been inverted by false prophets. Six. No creed must be accepted upon authority of a divine nature. Religions must be put to the question. No moral dogma must be taken for granted. No standard of measurement defied. No standard of measurement deified. There is nothing inherently sacred about moral codes. Like the wooden idols of long ago, they are the work of human hands. And what man has made, man can destroy. 7. He that is slow to believe anything and everything is of great understanding. For belief in one false principle is the beginning of all unwisdom. 8. The chief duty of every new age is to appraise new men to determine its liberties, to lead it towards material successes, to rend the rusty padlocks and chains of dead custom that always prevent healthy expansion. Theories and ideas that may have meant life and hope and freedom for our ancestors may now mean destruction, slavery, and dishonor to us. 9. As environments change, no human ideal standeth sure. 10. Whenever, therefore, a lie has built unto itself a throne, let it be assailed without pity and without regret. For under the domination of an inconvenient falsehood, no one can prosper. 11. Let established Sophisms be dethroned, rooted out, burned and destroyed, for they are standing menace to all true nobility of thought and action. 12. Whatever alleged truth is proved by result to be but an empty fiction, let it be unceremoniously flung into the outer darkness among the dead gods, dead empires, dead philosophies, and other useless lumber and wreckage. 13. The most dangerous of all enthroned lies is the holy, the sanctified, the privileged lie. The lie everyone believes to be a model truth. It is the fruitful mother of all other popular errors and delusions. It is the hydra-headed tree of unreason with a thousand roots. It is a social cancer. 14. The lie that is known to be a lie is half eradicated, but the lie that even intelligent persons accept as fact, the lie that has been inculculated in a little child at its mother's knee, is more dangerous to contend against than a creeping pestilence. 15. Popular lies have ever been the most potent enemies of personal liberty. There is only one way to deal with them. Cut them out to the very core, just as cancers. Exterminate them, root and branch. Annihilate them, or they will us. 3. 1. Love one another, it has been said, is the supreme law. But what power made it so? Upon what rational authority does the gospel of love rest? Why should I not hate mine enemies? If I love them... 
does that not place me at their mercy? 2. Is it natural for enemies to do good unto each other? And what is good? 3. Can the torn and bloody victim love the blood-splashed jaws that rend him limb from limb? 4. Are we not all predatory animals by instinct? If humans cease wholly from preying upon each other, could they continue to exist? 5. Is not lust and carnal desire a more truthful term to describe love when applied to the continuance of the race? Is not the love of the fawning scriptures simply a euphemism for sexual activity, or was the great teacher a glorifier of eunuchs? 6. Love your enemies and do good to them that hate and use you. Is this not the despicable philosophy of the spaniel that rolls upon its back when kicked? 7. Hate your enemies with a whole heart. And if a man smites you on one cheek, smash him on the other. Smite him hip and thigh, for self-preservation is the highest law. 8. He who turns the other cheek is a cowardly dog. 9. Give blow for blow, scorn for scorn, doom for doom, with compounded interest liberally added thereunto. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, eye fourfold, a hundredfold. Make yourself a terror to your adversary, and when he goeth his way, he will possess much additional wisdom to ruminate over. Thus shall you make yourself respected in all the walks of life, and your spirit, your immortal spirit, shall live not in an intangible paradise, but in the brains and sinews of those who respect you have gained. 4. 1. Life is the great indulgence, death the great abstinence. Therefore, make the most of life here and now. 2. There is no heaven of glory bright, and no hell where sinners roast. Here and now is our day of torment. Here and now is our day of joy. Here and now is our opportunity. Choose ye this day, this hour, for no Redeemer liveth. 3. Say unto thine own heart, I am mine own Redeemer. 4. Stop the way of them that would persecute you. Let those who devise thine undoing be hurled back to confusion and infamy. Let them be as chaff before the cyclone, and after they have fallen, rejoice in thine own salvation. 5. Then all thy bones shall say pridefully, Who is like unto me? Have I not been too strong for mine adversaries? Have I not delivered myself by my own brain and body? 5. 1. Blessed are the strong, for they shall possess the earth. Cursed are the weak, for they shall inherit the yoke. 2. Blessed are the powerful, for they shall be reverent. <laughs> Blessed are the powerful, so they shall be reverenced among men. Cursed are the feeble, for they shall be blotted out. 3. Blessed are the bold, for they shall be masters of the world. Cursed are the righteously humble, for they shall be trodden under cloven hoofs. 4. 
Blessed are the victorious, for victory is the basis of right. Cursed are the vanquished, for they shall be vassals forever. Five. Blessed are the iron-handed, for the unfit shall flee before them. Cursed are the poor in spirit. <clears throat> Cursed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be spat upon. Six. Blessed are the death-defiant, for their days shall be long in the land. Cursed are the gazers toward a richer life beyond the grave, for they shall perish amidst plenty. 7. Blessed are the destroyers of false hope, for they are the true messiahs. Cursed are the God-adorers, for they shall be shorn sheep. 8. Blessed are the valiant, for they shall obtain great treasure. Cursed are the believers in good and evil, for they are frightened by shadows. 9. Blessed are those that believe in what is best for them, for never shall their minds be terrorized. Cursed are the lambs of God, for they shall be bled whiter than snow. 10. Blessed is the man who is sprinkling. Blessed is the man who has a sprinkling of enemies, for they shall make him a hero. Cursed is he who doth good unto others, who sneer upon him in return, for he shall be despised. 11. Blessed are the mighty-minded, for they shall ride the whirlwinds. Cursed are those who teach lies for truth and truth for lies, for they are an abomination. 12. Thrice cursed are the weak, whose insecurity makes them vile, for they shall serve and suffer. 13. The angel of self-deceit is camped in the soul's of the righteous. The eternal flame of power through joy dwelleth within the flesh of the Satanist. Uh, Twelve just rang a damn chord in my head. Thrice cursed are the weak whose insecurity makes them vile. Huh. And I feel like I know some people like that. <clears throat> that was uh, the book of Satan. Next is the uh, book of Lucifer. What do you guys think? Am I fucking up too much? Is it shitty? <laughs> Michi man. How is Lucifer the dark prince when he is actually the light bringer? Make sense of that. Well, if you're going by Christian mythology, it's his fall that turned him into an evil person. Um, Jared. That's actually my stinky pinky going up in there. <laughs> Such raw motion that just reaches its hand inside of you. Just one digit, please. Um... LeVay had, had, uh, Dennis is saying, LeVay had such conviction. It is questionable to me if any other could have conveyed this message so eloquently. Truly amazing chapter. Definitely bringing the light situation. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, well, to be fair, that was, uh, plagiarized. <laughs> that wasn't all him. Um, the quiet numbers are killing you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the reverend scream, but never bellow. <laughs> My neighbors are scared now. That's funny. Yeah, Adam's Road Rage. You remember those? 
Oh, damn it. I just lost who said that. That's right, Vic. Good times, man. All right. <clears throat> you guys almost ready? I love me some Book of Belial, man. How do you not? Hail from Connecticut, Valhalla. Yeah, satanic AMSR. Hey, happy October, William. All right, here we go. <clears throat> There's a lot to take in. I'm going to switch up liquids here just for a sec. <clears throat> Air. The Book of Lucifer. The Enlightenment. <clears throat> the Roman god Lucifer was the bearer of light, the spirit of the air, the personification of enlightenment. In Christian mythology, he has become synonymous with evil, which is only to have been expected from a religion whose very existence is perpetrated by clouded definitions and bogus values. It is time to set the record straight. False moralisms and occult inaccuracies must be corrected. Entertaining as they might be, most stories and plays about devil worship must be recognized as the obsolete absurdities they are. It has been said the truth will make men free. The truth alone has never set anyone free. It is only doubt which will bring mental emancipation. Without the wonderful element of doubt, the doorway through which truth passes would be tightly shut, impervious to the most strenuous poundings of a thousand Lucifers. How understandable that holy scripture should refer to the infernal monarch as the father of lies, a magnificent example of character inversion. If one is to believe this theological accusation that the devil represents falsehood, then it surely must be concurred that it was he, not God, that established all spiritual religions and who write all of the holy Bibles. When one doubt is followed by another, the bubble, grown large, grown large from long accumulated fallacies, threatens to burst. For those who already doubt supposed truths, this book is a revelation then lucifer will have risen now is the time for doubt the bubble of falsehood is bursting and its sound is the roar of the world wanted god dead or alive it is a popular misconception that a satanist does not believe in god the concept of god as interpreted by man, has been so varied through the ages that the Satanist simply accepts the definition which suits him best. Man has always created his gods, rather than his gods creating him. God is, to some, benign, to others, terrifying. To the Satanist, God, by whatever name he is called, or by no name at all, is seen as the balancing factor in nature, and not as being concerned with suffering. This powerful force, which permeates and balances the universe, is far too impersonal to care about the happiness or misery and of flesh-and-blood creatures on this ball of dirt upon which we live. Anyone who thinks of Satan as evil should consider all the men, women, children, and animals who have died because it was God's will. Certainly, a person grieving the untimely loss of a loved one would much rather have the loved one with them than in God's hands. Instead, 
They are unctuously consoled by their clergyman, who says, It was God's will, my dear, or He is in God's hands now, my son. Such phrases have been a convenient way for religionists to condone or excuse the mercilessness of God. But if God is in complete control, and as benign as he is supposed to be, why does he allow all these things to happen? Too long have religionists been falling back on their Bibles and rule books to prove and disprove, justly condemn or interpret. The Satanist realizes that man and the action and reaction of the universe is responsible for everything and doesn't mislead himself into thinking that someone cares. No longer will we sit back and accept fate without doing anything about it, just because it says so in chapters such and such, psalm and so and so, and that's that. The Satanist knows that prayer does absolutely no good. In fact, it actually lessens the chance of success for the devoutly religious too often sit back complacently and pray for a situation which, if they were to do something about it on their own, could be accomplished much quicker. The Satanist shuns terms such as hope and prayer as they are indicative of apprehension. If we hope and pray for something to come about, we will not act in a positive way which will make it happen. The Satanist, realizing that anything he gets is of his own doing, takes command of the situation instead of praying to God for it to happen. Positive thinking and positive action add up to results. Just as the Satanist does not pray for God, just as the Satanist does not pray to God for assistance, he does not pray for forgiveness for his wrongdoings. In other religions, when one commits a wrong, he either prays to God for forgiveness or confesses to an intermediary and asks him to pray to God for forgiveness for his sins. The Satanist knows that if praying does no good, confessing to another human being like himself accomplishes even less and is furthermore degrading. When a Satanist commits a wrong, he realizes that it is natural to make a mistake, and if he is truly sorry about what he has done, he will learn from it and take care not to do the same thing again. If he is not honestly sorry about what he has done and knows he will do the same thing over and over, he has no business confessing and asking forgiveness in the first place. But this is exactly what happens. People confess their sins so that they can clear their consciences and be free to go out and sin again, usually the same sin. There are as many different interpretations of God in the usual sense of the word as there are types of people. The images run from a belief in a god who is some vague sort of universal cosmic mind to an anthropomorphic deity with a long white beard and sandals who keeps track of every action and of each individual. Even within the confines of a given religion, the personal interpretations of God differ greatly. Some religions actually go so far as to label every anyone who belongs in a religious sect other than their own, a heretic, even though the overall doctrines and impressions of godliness are nearly the same. For example, the Catholics believe that the Protestants are doomed to hell simply because they do not belong to the Catholic Church. In the same way, many splinter groups of Christian faith, such as the evangelical or revivalist churches, believe that the Catholics are heathens who worship graven images. Christ is depicted in the image that is most physiologically akin to the individual worshiping him, and yet the Christians criticize heathens for the worship of graven images. And the Jews have always been given the devil's name. 
Even though the God in all of these religions is basically the same, each regards the way chosen by the others as reprehensible, and to top it all, religionists actually pray for one another. They have scorn for their brothers of the right-hand path because their religions carry different labels, and somehow this animosity must be released. What better way than through prayer? What a simperingly polite way of saying, I hate your guts. Is a thinly disguised device known as praying for your enemy. Praying for one's own enemy is nothing more than bargain basement anger and of a decidedly shoddy and inferior quality. If there has been so much violent discrepancy as to the proper way in which to worship God, how many different interpretations of God can there be? And who is right? All devout white lighters are concerned with pleasing God so that they might have the pearly gates open for them when they die. Nevertheless, if a man has not lived his life in accordance with the regulations of his faith, he can, at the last minute, call a clergyman to his deathbed for final absolution. The priest or minister will then come running on the double to make everything right with God and see to it that his passport to the heavenly realm is in order. The Yazidis, a sect of devil worshippers, take a different viewpoint. They believe that God is all-powerful, but also all-forgiving, and so accordingly feel that it is the devil whom they must please, as he's the one who rules their lives while here on earth. They believe so strongly that God will forgive all of their sins once they have been given their last rites, that they feel no need to concern themselves with the opinion of God many hold of them while they live. With all the contradictions in the Christian scriptures, many people currently cannot rationally accept Christianity the way it has been practiced in the past. Great numbers of people are beginning to doubt the existence of God in the established Christian sense of the word. So they have taken to calling themselves Christian atheists. True, the Christian Bible is a mass of contradictions. But what could be more contradictory than the term Christian atheist? If prominent leaders of the Christian faith are rejoicing the, I'm sorry, are rejecting the past interpretations of God, how then can their followers be expected to, to how then can their followers be expected to adhere to previous religious tradition? With all the debates about whether or not God is dead, if he isn't, he had better have Medicare. Whew! Yeah, uh, most people's uh, image of God is uh, you know, Santa. <laughs> Making a list, checking out quite twice, long white beard. Fucking stupid. Um, hate the diet dog's will of everything happens for a reason. Yeah, dude, that sucks. Um, Daryl. Daryl. Losing a loved one and being told that it would be God's will is actually what made me more serious about Satanism, funnily enough. <laughs> dog's my co-pilot oh my god if i hear that shit one more time i may snap yeah or um uh i don't know what's worse um uh don't question your, uh, you know about the absurdity of losing that loved one because it's god will god's will or they're in god's hands now <laughs> what about me <laughs> what about my bills what about the, the life, the hole that they left in me and the others that they loved when they died? Why doesn't God 
fucking Dutch boy that motherfucker in my belly with his fucking finger instead of holding on to the loved one that, if it's true and they're in this heavenly place, doesn't need your fucking hands in the first place! Meanwhile, everyone down here is falling to shit! Plug the fucking dam, dude! <laughs> fucking people, man. <laughs> I heard Wes loves double fisting wine coolers. Do you guys, what, what was the, um, Bartles and James. That's what he loves. <laughs> He's a Bar Bar Bartles and James man. Um, all right. Well, I guess I should get back into it. Jesus in a tuxedo shirt. That's a picture. That's fucked up. <clears throat> all right. Mm. Okay. The God you save may be yourself. All religions of a spiritual nature are inventions of man. He has created an entire system of gods with nothing more than his carnal brain. Just because he has an ego and cannot accept it, he has, uh, he has had to externalize it in some great spiritual device which he calls God. God can do all things man is forbidden to do, such as kill people, perform miracles to gratify his will, control without any apparent responsibility, etc. If man needs such a God and recognizes that God, that he is worshipping an entity that a human being invented, therefore, he is worshipping by proxy the man that invented God. Is it not more sensible to worship a God that he himself has created in accordance with his own emotional needs? One that best represents the very carnal and physical being that has the, uh, that has the idea power to invent a God in the first place. If man insists on externalizing his true self in the form of God, then why fear his true self in fearing God? Why praise his true self in praising God why remain externalized from God in order to engage in ritual and religious ceremony in his name? Man needs ritual and dogma, but no law states that an externalized God is necessary in order to engage in ritual and ceremony performed in God's name. Could it be that when he closes the gap between himself and his God, he sees the demon of pride creeping forth? That very embodiment of Lucifer appearing in his midst. He no longer can view himself in two parts, the carnal and the spiritual, but sees them merge as one, and then, to his abysmal horror, discovers that they are only the carnal, and always were. Then he either hates himself to death day by day, or rejoices that he is what he is. If he hates himself, he searches out new and more complex spiritual paths of enlightenment in hopes that he may split himself up again in his quest for stronger and more externalized gods to scourge his poor, miserable shell. If he accepts himself, but recognizes that ritual and ceremony are the important devices that his invented religions have utilized to sustain his faith in a lie, then it is the same form of ritual that will sustain his faith in the truth. The primitive pageantry that will give his awareness of his own majestic being added substance. Substance. When all religious faith in lies has waned, it is because man has become closer to himself and farther from God. Closer to the devil. 
if this is what the devil represents, and a man lives his life in the devil's fane, with the sinews of Satan moving his flesh, then he either escapes from the cracklings and carpings of the righteous, or stands proudly in his secret places of the earth and manipulates the folly-ridden masses through his own satanic might, until that day when he may come forth in splendor proclaiming, I am a Satanist! Bow down before me! I am the highest embodiment of human life! Side note, I think that last line is the biggest problem with Satanists being douchebags. <laughs> that probably, I would, okay, here's, here's an exercise of thought. Hadn't considered until now. What are some, and put it in the chat room um, if you can think of something. What are some of the tenets of Satanism that create the worst Satanists? <laughs> You know, like, like the, the version of a Satanist that just, you just can't stand to be around. They're just, just, just torture to talk to. This is mine. I'm, I call dibs on this one. Bow down for I am the highest embodiment of human life. You live in your basement, man. How could you be the highest embodiment? You live in your mom's basement. S stealing her Wi-Fi and her Netflix subscription. Is that the highest embodiment you can go? Is that as high as you can go? Because I feel like if I stand up, my dick is higher. Just saying. <laughs> Aspire to greater things, I guess, is really kind of the point of this entire book. <laughs> what else? What do you guys got? Um, you're talking about the public group, aren't you? I don't know about that. Uh, Bound down before me line is, I've always thought, an inspirational line. No, and it should be, except that it's used by people who have no sense of actual realistic ego. They just have this overblown sense of confidence because, I don't know, they identify as Satanists. I've met too many. Too many. Anyone else? You got any thoughts about that? <laughs> Wi-Fi stealing, basement dwelling, mouth breather. You got to add on, dude. Just keep going. Prideful neck beards. <laughs> All right. Oh, here's one. Hold on. Uh, it has to be the pendants. They're like, no, you can't do that ritual without the Enochian key written with a quill on a hundred year old parchment in fairy blood or some shit. <laughs> I feel like if, if, if uh, any human being but especially a Satanist. If they came up to me in a ritual situation and they were like, well, actually, how did you write that down? Because, um, you know, I've got a, I got a quill and some fairy blood. I just bitch slap them. Just, I wouldn't even, all the way through. Like a full golf swing. Just whoosh. Right across the face. And then make them stand in the corner like Blair Witch Project. You don't get to look at the nude altar. Go to the corner. Fucking awesome. Uh, okay, let's do this again. Let's get back into it. You know, I actually can't see it that far, but I can see it this far. All right. All right. <clears throat> Some evidence of a new satanic age. The seven deadly sins of the Christian church are greed, pride, envy, anger, 
gluttony, lust, and sloth. Satanism advocates indulging in each of these sins as they all lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. A Satanist knows there is nothing wrong with being greedy, as it only means that he wants more than he already has. Envy means to look with favor upon the possessions of others, and to be desirous of obtaining similar things for oneself. Envy and greed are the motivating forces of ambition, and without ambition, very little of any importance would be accomplished. Gluttony is simply eating more than you need to keep yourself alive. When you have overeaten to the point of obesity, another sin, pride, will motivate you to regain an appearance that will renew your self-respect. Anyone who buys an article of clothing for a purpose other than covering his body and protecting it from the elements is guilty of pride. Satanists often encounter scoffers who maintain the labels are not necessary. It must be pointed out to these destroyers of labels that one or many articles they themselves are wearing are not necessary to keep them warm. There is not a person on this earth who is completely devoid of ornamentation. The Satanist points out that any ornamentation of the scoffer's body shows that he too is guilty of pride, regardless of how verbose the cynic may be in his intellectual description of how free he is, he's still wearing the elements of pride. Being reluctant to get up in the morning is to be guilty of sloth, and if you lie in bed long enough, you may find yourself committing yet another sin. Lust. To have the faintest stirring of sexual desires is to be guilty of lust. In order to ensure the propagation of humanity, Nature made lust the second most powerful instinct, the first being self-preservation. Realizing this, the Christian church made fornication the original sin. In this way, they made sure no one would escape sin. Your very state of being is as a result of sin, the original sin. The strongest instinct in every living thing is self-preservation, which brings us to the last of the seven deadly sins, anger. It is not our instinct, is it not our instinct for self-preservation that is aroused when someone harms us, when we become angry enough to protect ourselves from further attack? A Satanist practices the motto, if a man smite thee on one cheek, smash him on the other. Let no wrong go unredressed. Be as a lion in the path. Be dangerous, even in defeat. Since man's natural instincts lead him to sin, all men are sinners, and all sinners go to hell. <laughs> if everyone goes to hell, then you will meet all your friends there. Heaven must be populated with some rather strange creature if all they lived for was to go to a place where they can strum harps for eternity. Times have changed. Religious leaders no longer preach that all our natural actions are sinful. We no longer think sex is dirty, or that taking pride in ourselves is shameful, or that wanting something someone else has is vicious. Of course not. Times have changed, if you want proof of this. Just look at how liberal the churches have become. Why, they're practicing all the things that you preach. Satanists hear these and similar statements all the time, and they agree wholeheartedly, but... If the world has changed so much, why continue to grasp at the threads of a dying faith? If many religions are denying their own scriptures because they are out of date and are preaching the philosophies of Satanism, why not call it by its rightful name? Satanism. Certainly it would be far less hypocritical.
In recent years, there's been an attempt to humanize the spiritual concept of Christianity. This has manifested itself in the most obvious non-spiritual means. Masses, which have been said in Latin, are now said in native languages, which only succeeds in making the nonsense easier to understand, and at the same time robs the ceremony of the esoteric nature which is consistent with the tenets of the dogma. It is much simpler to obtain an emotional reaction using words and phrases that cannot be understood than it is with statements which even the simplest minds will question when hearing them in an understandable language. If priests and ministers were to have used the devices to fill their churches 100 years ago that they use today, they would have been charged with heresy, called devils, oftentimes persecuted, but certainly excommunicated without hesitation. The religionists wail, we must keep up with the times. Forgetting that, due to the limiting factors and deeply ingrained laws of white light religions, they can never be sufficient change to meet the needs of man. Past religions have always represented the spiritual nature of man, with little or no concern for his carnal or mundane needs. They have considered this life but a transitory, and the flesh merely a shell, physical pleasure trivial, and pain a worthwhile preparation, preparation for the kingdom of God. How well the utter hypocrisy comes forth when the religious make a change in their religion to keep up with man's natural change. The only way that Christianity can ever completely serve the needs of man is to become as Satanism is now. It has become necessary for a new religion based on man's natural instincts to come forth. They have named it. It is called Satanism. It is that power condemned that has caused the religion, uh, religious controversy over birth control measures, a disgruntled admission that sexual activity for fun is here to stay. It is the devil who caused women to show their legs, to titillate men, the same kind of legs now socially acceptable to gaze upon, which are revealed by young nuns as they walk about in their shortened habits. What a delightful step on the right or left of direction. Is it possible we will soon see topless nuns sensually throwing their bodies about to the Misa Solemnis rock? Satan smiles and says he would like that fine. Uh, he would like that fine. Many nuns are very pretty girls with nice legs. Many churches with some of the largest congregations have the most hand-clapping, sensual music, also satanically inspired. After all, the devil has always had the best tunes. Church pen... Church picnics, despite all of Aunt Martha's talk about the Lord's bountiful harvest, are nothing more than a good excuse for Sunday gluttony, and everyone knows that lots more than Bible reading goes on in the bushes. The fundraising adjunct of many church bazaars is commonly known as a carnival, which used to mean the celebration of the flesh. Now a carnival is okay because the money goes to the church so that it can preach against the temptations of the devil. It will be said that these things are only pagan devices and ceremonies, that the Christians borrowed them. True, but the pagans revealed, uh, reveled in the delights of the flesh and were condemned by the very same people who celebrating their rituals, but call them by different names. Priests and ministers are in the front lines of peace demonstrations and lying on railroad tracks in front of trains carrying war materials with, a much uh, with as much dedication as their brothers of the cloth for the same seminaries who are blessing the bullets and bombs and fighting men as chaplains in the armed forces. 
someone must be wrong someplace. Could it be that Satan is the one qualified to act as accuser? Certainly they named him that. When a puppy reaches maturity, it becomes a dog. When ice melts, it's called water. When 12 months has been used up, we get a new calendar with the proper chronological name. When magic becomes scientific fact, we refer to it as medicine, astronomy, etc. When one name is no longer appropriate for a given thing, it is only logical to change it to a new one, which better fits the subject. Why then do we not follow suit in the area of religion? Why continue to call a religion the same name when the tenets of that religion no longer fit the original one? Or, if the religion does preach the same things that it always has, but its followers practice nearly none of its teachings, why do they continue to call themselves by the name given to the followers of that religion? If you do not believe in what your religion teaches, why continue to support a belief which is contradictory with your feelings? You would never vote for a person or issue you did not believe in, so why cast your ecclesiastical vote for a religion which is not consistent with your convictions? You have no right to complain about a political situation you have voted for or supported in any way, which includes sitting back and complacently agreeing with neighbors who approve the situation just because you're too lazy or cowardly to speak your mind. So it is with religious validity. Even if you cannot be aggressively honest about your opinions because of unfavorable consequences from employers, community leaders, etc., you can at least be honest with yourself. In the privacy of your own home and with close friends, you must support the religion which has your best interests at heart. Satanism is based on a very sound philosophy, say the emancipated. But why call it Satanism? Why not call it something like humanism, or a name that would have the connotation of a witchcraft group, something a little more esoteric, something less blatant? There is more than one reason for this. Humanism is not a religion. It is simply a way of life with no ceremony or dogma. Satanism has both ceremony and dogma. Dogma, as will be explained, is necessary. Satanism differs greatly from all other so-called white light, white witchcraft, or magical groups on the world today. These self-righteous and supercilious religions protest that their members use the powers of magic only for altruistic purposes. Satanists look with disdain upon white witchcraft groups because they feel that altruism is sinning on the layaway plan. If, uh, it, is un it is unnatural not to have the desire to gain things for yourself. Satanism represents a form of controlled selfishness. This does not mean that you never do anything for anyone. If you do something to make someone for whom you care happy, his happiness will give you a sense of gratification. Satanism advocates practicing a modified form of the golden rule. Our, or our interpretation of this rule is, do unto others as they do unto you. Because if you do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and they in turn treat you badly, it goes against human nature to continue to treat them with consideration. You should do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but if your courtesy is not returned, they should be treated with the wrath they deserve. White witchcraft groups say that if you curse a person, it will return to you threefold. Come home to roost or in some way boomerang back to the sender. 
This is yet another indication of the guilt-ridden philosophy which is held by these neo-pagan, pseudo-Christian groups. White witches want to delve into witchcraft, but cannot divorce themselves from the stigma attached to it. Therefore, they call themselves white magicians and base 75% of their philosophy on the trite and hackneyed tenets of Christianity. Anyone who pretends to be interested in magic or the occult for reasons other than gaining personal power is the worst kind of hypocrite. The Satanist respects Christianity for at least being consistent in its guilt-ridden philosophy, but can only feel contempt for people who attempt to appear emancipated from guilt by joining a witchcraft group and then practice the same basic philosophy as Christianity. White magic is supposedly utilized only for good or unselfish purposes, and black magic, we are told, is used only for selfish or evil reasons. Satanism draws no such dividing line. Magic is magic, be it used to help or hinder. The Satanist, being the magician, should have the ability to decide what is just and then apply the powers of magic to attain his goals. During white magical ceremonies, the practitioners stand within a pentagram to protect themselves from evil forces which they call upon for help. To the Satanist, it seems a bit two-faced to call on these forces for help while at the same time protecting yourself from the very powers you have asked for assistance. The Satanist realizes that only by putting himself in league with these forces can he fully and unhypocritically utilize the powers of darkness to his best advantage. In a satanic magical ceremony, the participants do not join hands and dance, ring around the rosy in a circle, burn candles of various colors for various wishes, call out the names of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost while supposedly practicing the black arts, pick a saint for their personal guide to obtaining help for their problems, dunk themselves in smelly oils and hope that money comes in, meditate so they can arrive at a great spiritual awakening, Recite long incantations with the name of Jesus thrown for good measure between every few words, etc., 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 ad nauseum. Because this is not the way to practice satanic magic. If you cannot divorce yourself from hypocritical self-deceit, you will never be successful as a magician, much less satanic. The satanic religion has not merely lifted the coin, it has flipped it over completely. Therefore, why should it support the very principles to which it is completely opposed by calling itself anything other than a name which is totally in keeping with the reverse doctrines which make up the satanic philosophy? Satanism is not a white light religion, it is the religion of the flesh, the mundane, the carnal, all of which are ruled by Satan, the personification of the left hand path. Inevitably, the next question asked is, granted, you can't call it humanism because humanism is not a religion, but why even have a religion in the first place? If all you do is what comes naturally anyway, why not just do it? Modern man has come a long way. He has become, a, he has become disenchanted with the nonsensical dogmas of past religions. We are living in an enlightened age. Psychiatry has made great strides in enlightening man about his true personality. We are living in an era of intellectual awareness unlike any the world has ever seen. 
This is all very well and good, but there is one flaw in this new state of awareness. It is one thing to accept something intellectually, but to accept the same thing emotionally is an entirely different manner. The one need that psychiatry cannot fill is man's inherent need for emotionalizing through dogma. Man needs ceremony and ritual, fantasy and enchantment. Psychiatry, despite all the good it has done, has robbed man of wonder and fantasy which religion in the past has provided. Satanism, realizing the current needs of man, fills the large gray void between religion and psychiatry. The satanic philosophy combines the fundamentals of psychology and good, honest, emotionalizing or dogma. It provides man with his much-needed fantasy. There's nothing wrong with dogma, providing it is not based on ideas and actions which go completely against human nature. The quickest way of traveling between two points is in a straight line. If all the guilts that have been built up can be turned into advantages, it eliminates the need for intellectual purging of the psyche in an attempt to cleanse it from the repressions. Satanism is the only religion known to man that accepts man as he is and promotes the rationale of turning a bad thing into a good thing rather than bending over backwards to eliminate the bad thing. Therefore, after intellectually evaluating your problems through common sense and drawing on what psychiatry has taught us, if you still cannot emotionally release yourself from unwarranted guilt and put your theories into action, then you should learn to make your guilt work for you. You should act upon your natural instincts and then, if you cannot perform without feeling guilty, revel in your guilt. This may sound like a contradiction in terms, but if you will think about it, guilt can often add a Philip. Uh, the fuck? This may sound like a contradiction in terms, but if you will think about it, guilt can often add a Philip to the senses. Adults would do well to take a lesson from children. Children often take great delight in doing something they know they're not supposed to. Yes, times have changed. But man hasn't. The basics of Satanism have always existed. The only thing that is new is the formal organization of a religion based on the universal traits of man. For centuries, magnificent structures of stone, concrete, mortar, and steel have been devoted to man's abstinence. It is high time that human beings stopped fighting themselves and devoted their time to building temples designed for man's indulgence. Even though times have changed and always will, man remains basically the same. For 2,000 years, man has done penance for something he never should have had to feel guilty about in the first place. We are tired of denying ourselves the pleasure of life which we deserve. Today, as always, man needs to enjoy himself here and now instead of waiting for his rewards in heaven. So why not have a religion based on indulgence? Certainly it is consistent with the nature of the beast. We're no longer supplicating weaklings trembling before an unmerciful God who cares not whether we live or die. We are self-respecting, prideful people. We are Satanists. Oh, mama. Yeah, this is getting hard to <laughs> keep reading. Is it? It's been almost two hours? Holy vey. 
You know what I think it is? I'm dramatically reading rather than just like reading, reading. <laughs> Something. I don't know. Um, all right. What are you guys talking about? What's going on in the chat room? Anything fun? You guys like this stuff? The only deity I invoke is my Lanta. <laughs> nice. Smooth. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I'm doing this just to remember the doctor, all right? This is what I love about him, his writing. Okay, that's not all true. I do love his writing. But the dude had style, man. <laughs> I mean, come on. I got... Wait, which way? That um, portrait of him by Marcus Mayer? Beautiful piece. Um, okay, let's see. What's going on? Keep reading dramatically. You do it so well. Thanks, honey. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> with words and cats. Yeah, man, it gets back in my sinuses when I'm trying to do this. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I want to at least get through satanic sex because I'm a bit of a fan. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Hold on. Gotta fix him. <laughs> Be properly evil. You have to curl. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. Uh, Jason, I have an entire YouTube channel devoted to just reading copyright-free books. I'm in the middle of Dracula right now. So if you want to toss it out there, it's copyright-free, I will. Um, bourbon and Remembrances. Jared, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> all right, Ara. I need you to slowly press your hand on your chest. Slide. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Here we go. Hell, the devil, and how to sell your soul. Satan has certainly been the best friend the church has ever had, as he's kept it in business all these years. The false doctrine of hell and the devil has allowed the Protestant and Catholic churches to flourish far too long. Without a devil to point their fingers at, religionists of the right-hand path would have nothing with which to threaten their followers. Satan leads you to temptation. Satan is the prince of evil. Satan is vicious, cruel, brutal, they warn. If you give in to the temptations of the devil, you will surely suffer eternal damnation and roast in hell. The semantic meaning of Satan is the adversary or opposition or the accuser. The word devil comes from the Indian Devi, which means God. Satan represents opposition to all religions, which serve to frustrate and condemn man for his natural instincts. He's been given an evil role simply because he represents the carnal, earthly, and mundane aspects of life. Satan, the chief devil of the Western world, was originally an angel whose duty it was to report human delinquencies to God. It was not until the 14th century that he began to depict as an evil deity who is part man and part animal with goat-like horns and hooves. Before Christianity gave him the names of Satan, Lucifer, etc., the carnal side of man's nature was governed by the god 
which was then called Dionysus or Pan, depicted as a satyr or fawn by the Greeks. Pan was originally the good guy and symbolized fertility and fecundity. Whenever a nation comes under a new form of government, the heroes of the past become the villains of the present. So it is with religion. The earliest Christians believed that the pagan deities were devils, and to employ them was to use black magic, miraculous heavenly events they termed white magic. This was the sole distinction between the two. The old gods did not die. They fell into hell and became devils. The boogie, goblin, or bugaboo used to frighten children is derived from the Slavic bog, which means god, as does baga in Hindu. Many pleasures revered before the advent of Christianity were condemned by the new religion. It required little change over to transform the horns and cloven hooves of Pan into most convincing devil. Pan's attributes could be neatly changed into charged with punishment sins, and so the metamorphosis was complete. The association of the goat with the devil is found in the Christian Bible, where the holiest day of the year, the Day of Atonement, was celebrated by casting lots for two goats without blemish, one to be offered to the Lord and one to Azazel. The goat carrying the sins of the people was driven into the desert and became a scapegoat. This is the origin of the goat, which is still used in lodge ceremonies today, as it was also used in Egypt, where once a year it was sacrificed to a god. The devils of mankind are many, and their origins diversified. The performance of satanic ritual does not embrace the calling forth of demons. This practice is followed only by those who are in fear of the very forces they conjure. Supposedly, demons are malevolent spirits with attributes conductive to the deterioration of the people or events that they touch upon. The Greek word demon meant a guardian spirit or source of inspiration, and to be sure, later theologians invented legion upon legion of these harbingers of inspiration, all wicked. An indication of the cowardice of magicians of the right-hand path is the practice of calling upon a particular demon who would supposedly be a minion of the devil to do his bidding. The assumption is that the demon, being only a flunky of the devil, is easier to control. Occult lore states that only the most formidable, protected, or insanely foolhardy sorcerer would try to call forth the devil himself. The Satanist does not furtively call upon these lesser devils, but brazenly invokes those who people that infernal army of long-standing outrage, the devils themselves. Theologians have cataloged some of the names of the devils in their lists of demons, as might be expected, but the roster which follows contains the names most effectively used in satanic ritual. These are the names and origins of the gods and goddesses called upon, which make up a large part of the occupancy of the royal palace of hell. The four crowned princes, Satan, Hebrew, adversary, opposer, accuser, lord of fire, the inferno, the south. Lucifer, Roman, bringer of light, enlightenment, the air, the morning star, the east. Belial, Hebrew, without a master, baseness of the earth, independent, the north. Leviathan, Hebrew, the serpent out of the depths, the sea, the west. The Infernal Names, Abaddon, 
Hebrew, the destroyer. Adramelech, Sumerian devil. Apunk, Mayan devil. Ahriman, Mazdian devil. Amun, Egyptian ram-headed god of life and reproduction. Apollon, Greek synonym for Satan, the archfiend. Asmodeus, Hebrew devil of sensuality and luxury. Originally, creature of judgment. Astaroth, Phoenician goddess of lasciviousness, equivalent of Babylonian Ishtar. Azazel, Hebrew, taught man to make weapons of war, introduced cosmetics. Balbereth, Canaanite lord of the covenant who was later made a devil. Balaam, Hebrew devil of avarice and greed. Baphomet, worshipped by the Templars as symbolic of Satan. Bast, Egyptian goddess of pleasure, represented by the cat. Beelzebub, Hebrew, lord of flies, taken from the symbolism of the scarab. Behemoth, Hebrew personification of Satan in the form of an elephant. Beirut, Syric, name for the Satan. Bile, Celtic god of hell. Chemish, national god of Moabites, later a devil. Samaris, rides a black horse and rules Africa. Coyote, American Indian devil. Dagon, Philistine avenging devil of the sea. Dambala, voodoo serpent god. Demogorgon, Greek name of the devil. It is said should, be not, uh, should not be known to mortals. Diabolus, Greek, flowing downwards. Dracula, Romanian, name for devil. Emma O, Japanese, ruler of hell. Euronymous, Greek, prince of death. Fenris, son of Loki, depicted as a wolf. Gorgo, dim of Demogorgon, Greek name of the devil. Haborim, Hebrew synonym for Satan. Hecate, Greek goddess of the underworld and witchcraft. Ishtar, Babylonian goddess of fertility. Kali, Hindu, daughter of Shiva, high priestess of the Thugis. Lilith, Hebrew female devil, Adam's first wife who taught him the ropes. Loki, Teutonic devil. Mammon, Aramaic god of wealth and profit. Mania, Etruscan goddess of hell. Mantis, Etruscan god of hell. Marduk, god of the city of Babylon. Mastima, Hebrew synonym for Satan. Melektaus, Yazidi devil. Mephistopheles, Greek, he who shuns the light. Q.V. Faust. Metztli, Aztec goddess of the night. Mictian, Aztec god of death. Midgard, son of Loki, depicted as a serpent. Milcom, Ammonite devil. Moloch, Phoenician and Canite devil. Mormo, Greek, king of the ghouls, consort of Hecate. Naaman, Hebrew, female devil of seduction. Nergal, Babylonian god of Hades. Nihasa, American Indian devil. Nija, Polish god of the underworld. Oyama, Japanese name for Satan. Pan, great god of lust, later relegated to devildom. Pluto, Greek god of the underworld. Prosephone, uh, Proseferin, uh, Greek queen of the underworld. Puka, Welsh name for Satan. Ramon, Syrian devil worshipped as uh, at Damascus. Sabazoes, Phrygian origin, identified with Dionysius uh, snake worship. Uh, Satan, 
Enochian equivalent of Satan. Samael, Hebrew, venom of God. Samnu, Central Asian devil. Sedit, American Indian devil. Sekhmet, Egyptian goddess of vengeance. Set, Egyptian devil. Shaitan, Arabic name for Satan. Shiva, Hindu, the destroyer. Supe, Inca god of the underworld. Tanmo, Chinese counterpart to the devil. Covetous desire. Court, Russian name for Satan, black god. Tezcatlipoca, Aztec god of hell. Thamuz, Sumerian god who was later relegated to devildom. Thoth, Egyptian god of magic. Tunrida, Scandinavia, female devil. Typhon, Greek personification of Satan. Yoatsin, Aztec god of hell. Yenlo Wang, Chinese ruler of hell. The devils of past religions have always, at least in part, had animal characteristics, evidence of man's constant need to deny that he too is an animal, for to do so would serve a mighty blow to his impoverished ego. The pig was despised by the Jews and the Egyptians. It symbolized the gods Frey, Osiris, Adonis, Persephone, Attis, and Demeter, and was sacrificed to Osiris and the moon. But in time, it became degraded to a devil. The Phoenicians worshipped a fly god, Baal, from which comes the devil, Beelzebub. Both Baal and Beelzebub are identical to the dung beetle or scarabus of the Egyptians, which appeared to resurrect itself, much as the mythical bird, the phoenix, rose from its own ashes. The ancient Jews believed, though their, through their contact with the Persians, that the two great forces in the world were Ahura Mazda, the god of fire, light, life, and goodness, and Ahriman, the serpent, the god of darkness, destruction, death, and evil. These are countless other examples, not only depict man's devils as animals, but also show his need to sacrifice the original animal gods and demote them to his devils. At the time of the Reformation in the 16th century, the alchemist Dr. Johann Faustus discovered a method of summoning a demon, Mephistopheles, from hell and making a pact with him. He signed a contract in blood to turn his soul over to Mephistopheles in return for the feeling of youth and at once became young. When the time came for Faustus to die, he retired to his room and was blown to bits as though his laboratory had exploded. This story is a protest of the times, the 16th century, against science, chemistry, and magic. To become a Satanist, it is unnecessary to sell your soul to the devil or make a pact with Satan. This threat was devised by Christianity to terrorize people so that they could not stray from the fold. With scolding fingers and trembling voices, they taught their followers that if they gave in to the temptations of Satan and lived their lives according to their natural predilections, they would have to pay for their sinful pleasures by giving their souls to Satan and suffering in hell for all eternity. People were led to believe that a pure soul was a passport to everlasting life. Pious prophets have taught man to fear Satan, but what of terms like God-fearing? If God is so merciful, why do people have to fear him? Are we to believe that there is nowhere we can turn to escape fear? If you have to fear God, why not be Satan-fearing and at least have the fun of that being God-fearing denies you? Without such wholesale fear, religionists would have had nothing with which to wield power over their followers. The Teutonic goddess of the dead and daughter of Loki was named Hel, a pagan god of torture and punishment. Another L was added when the books of the Old Testament were formulated. The prophets who wrote the Bible did not know the word hell. They used the Hebrew Sheol and the Greek Hades, which meant the grave. Also, the Greek Tartarus, which was um, 
which was the abode of fallen angels, the underworld inside the earth, and Gehenna, which was a valley near Jerusalem where Moloch reigned and garbage was dumped and burned. It is from this that the Christian church has evolved the idea of fire and brimstone in hell. The Protestant hell and Catholic hell are places of eternal punishment, however. The Catholics are believed that there's a purgatory where all souls go for a time and a limbo where unbaptized souls go. The Buddhist hell is divided into eight sections, the first seven of which can be expatiate what can be expiated the ecclesiastical description of hell is that of a horrible place of fire and torment in dante's inferno and in northern climes it was thought to be an icy cold region a giant refrigerator even with all their threats of eternal damnation and soul roasting christian missionaries have run across some who are not so quick to swallow their drivel pleasure and pain like beauty are in the eye of the beholder so, when missionaries ventured to Alaska and warned the Eskimos of the horrors of hell and the blazing lake of fire awaiting transgressors, they eagerly asked, How do we get there? Most Satanists do not accept Satan as an anthropomorphic being with cloven horns, uh, hooves, a barbed tail, and horns. He merely represents a force of nature, powers of darkness, which have been named just that because no religion has taken these forces out of darkness nor has science been able to apply technical terminology to this force. It is an untapped reservoir that few can make use of because they lack the ability to use a tool without having to first break down and label all the parts which make it run. It is this incessant need to analyze which prohibits most people from taking advantage of this many-faceted key to the unknown, which the Satanist chooses to call Satan. Satan as a god, demigod, personal savior, or whatever you wish to call him, was invented by the formulations of every religion on the face of the earth for only one purpose, to preside over man's so-called wicked activities and situations here on earth. Consequently, anything resulting in physical or mental gratification was defined as evil, thus assuring a lifetime of unwarranted guilt for everyone. So if evil they have named us, evil we are. So what? The satanic age is upon us. Why not take advantage of it and live? Oh, mama, this is getting tough. <laughs> I thought I was going to be flying through this. Okay. What are you guys talking about? <clears throat> Named your son Levi after Leviathan. Nice. Uh, I named my son, um, his middle name, Damon, the Greek spelling, specifically for that god or guardian reference. Now he goes by Damon. <clears throat> uh, starting to sweat a little, Rev. No, not, not, not badly. <clears throat> my throat is hurting. Love and hate is short. Satanic sex is next. And I'll stop after that. That's a long one, though. So we're going to be um, sucking and fucking all night here, people. Let's do uh, love and hate. <clears throat> love and hate. Satanism. That sounded weird. <clears throat> Satanism represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates cannot love everyone 
It is ridiculous to think you can. If you love everyone and everything, you lose your natural powers of selection and wind up being a pretty poor judge of character and quality. If anything is used too freely, it loses its true meaning. Therefore, the Satanist believes you should love strongly and completely those who deserve your love, but never turn the other cheek to your enemy. Love is one of the most intense emotions felt by man. Another is hate. Forcing yourself to feel indiscriminate love is very unnatural. If you try to love everyone, you will only lessen your feelings for those who deserve your love. Repressed hatred can lead to many physical and emotional ailments, but learning to release your hatred towards those who deserve it, you cleanse yourself of those malignant emotions and need not take your pent-up hatred out on your loved ones. There has never been a great love movement in the history of the world that hasn't wound up killing countless numbers of people, we must assume, to prove how much they love them. Every hypocrite who has ever walked the earth is in pockets bulging with love. Every pharisaical religionist claims to love his enemies, even though when wronged he consoles himself by thinking God will punish them instead of admitting to themselves that they are capable of hating their foes and treating them in the manner they deserve, they say, there but for the grace of God go I, and pray for them. Why should we humiliate and lower ourselves by drawing such inaccurate comparisons? Satanism has been taught of being... Satanism has been thought of as being synonymous with cruelty and brutality. This is so only because people are afraid to face the truth. And the truth is that human beings are not all benign or all loving. Just because the Satanist admits he is capable of both love and hate, he is considered hateful. On the contrary, because he is able to give vent to his hatred through ritualized expression, he is far more capable of love, the deepest kind of love. But honestly, recognizing and admitting to both the hate and love he feels... There is no confusing one emotion with the other without being able to uh, experience without being able to experience one of these emotions you cannot fully experience the other I do not think I'm going to get through the satanic sex guys I'm sorry that was a struggle and that was a very short little essay so we might have to stop it there Uh, yeah, Jeff, I think you're absolutely right. This is an insanely um, confused idea in Satanism that we can love. And our wonderful high priestess, Imagine Andromia, wrote an entire essay on this, um, My Dark Satanic Love, which speaks to that very thing uh, eloquently. If you guys haven't read it, you should go check it out, like right now, churchofsatan.com. I'll wait for you. <clears throat> go. <clears throat> Thanks, Wes. Uh, yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to do any more. I may do this again some other time, picking up where I left off. Uh, I don't know why you guys sat through this, why you're watching it still. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. It's nice to know that other people are digging the memory of uh, the man who, for the very first time in history put down to paper exactly 
what we all are. It's crazy to think about. And I thank him for that. I think that's fantastic. And I'll always, uh, I'll always admire the man and the legend that he created for himself. Uh, no matter how true or untrue parts of it may be, I don't care. I think the importance is what he did. And that spoke to me. And it still speaks to me. And it created an image of this internal flame that forever burns within me. In the same way when I was a, a, a kid kicked out of my house, living with some uh, drug addicts and alcoholics, uh, drawing uh, physical paintings of uh, the four crowned princes of hell and turning on some Takata and Fugue of Johann Sebastian Bach and lighting candles all around my room and having that ritual of just closing my eyes and backing up side by side next to the crowned princes and realizing that there was nothing to fear that I was amongst friends, I was amongst peers, I was amongst demons of the pit that were just like me and that accepted me for all of my fucking faults. Hail Anton LaVey. Hail the Church of Satan. And all of you. Satanists that are watching. And the Satanist-friendly people. I know you're out there too. I hear from you every once in a while. <laughs> you don't have to be a Satanist to enjoy the, the, uh, <laughs> the color that is Satanism. It's beautiful. Um, okay, I saw something from uh, someone that I wanted to look at real quick before I go, guys. Give me one second while I look. Oh, you're very welcome, my friend. Uh, Zoth. It's nice to see you. It's been too long. Uh, all right, guys. It's almost like 50 years on this thing, right? Funny how that works. Time. How can it still be relevant 50 years later? Weird, right? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, all right. Readings will henceforth be Satan-friendly. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, all right, that's it. That's, I got to go. You guys have a great day, night, whatever time it is you're watching this. Hail the Satan and uh, take control of your own fucking lives, all right? That's what it's about. Don't worry about what people say about you online or whether they clicked a like on your social media if you have it. Focus on your professions, on your hobbies, on your passions, on your loved ones. Give them the attention that you believe they deserve and get it all in return if you can. Next time we'll do a little satanic sex, maybe. Hell Satan, people. <laughs>